Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of Desi Books, news and views about Desi literature from the world over. I'm your host, Jenny Bart. Thank you for tuning in. In today's Desi Craft Chat, we have Rita Kothari discussing a new short story anthology titled The Greatest Gujarati Stories Ever Told, which she has selected, edited, and mostly translated to. In this conversation, we talked about the differences of translating different forms, uh, the diversity within Gujarati culture, balancing the theory and practice of translation, decoding cultural and sociopolitical issues through translation, and much more. Rita Bhattari is a professor of English at Ashoka University in India. She is also the co-director of the Ashoka Center for Translation. She has, to her credit, numerous monographs, translations, and edited volumes. Kotari has been the recipient of prestigious awards and fellowships, both in India and overseas. Her recent books include A Multilingual Nation and Translation of Literature about Interreligious Riots in India in Agni Pariksha, An Ordeal Remembered. She has co-translated the fiction of K.M. Munshi into English and has recently completed a monograph titled Uneasy Translations, Self, Experience, and Indian Literature. The 23 stories in The Greatest Gujarati Stories Ever Told represent some of the finest short fiction in Gujarati literature. Selected and edited by translator and writer Rita Gotari, this collection features established literary masters such as K.M. Munshi, Dhumketu, Himanshi Shelat, Dalpat Chauhan, Nazir Mansuri, Mona Patrawala, and accomplished new voices as well, such as Pannatribedi, Abhimanyu Acharya, Ram Mori, and others. On a personal note, as a Gujarati to English uh, literary translator myself, I've known of and read Brita Kothari's works over the years with great admiration. We've had brief social media interactions, and in 2020, I interviewed her via email for the Global Literature in Libraries initiative about her translation of Joseph McQuan's The Stepchild. And her book, a Multilingual Nation, which is about translation and the language dynamics in India, is a must-read for all translators to and from Indian languages. So this uh, extended and wide-ranging live conversation was a true pleasure for me. And this particular anthology uh, has introduced me to some contemporary Gujarati writers that I've never read, so um, I'm very grateful for that. Here's Rita Gotari now.
Hi, Rita. Thank you for coming on the Desi Books podcast. Um, we're very excited to talk about this new anthology, The Greatest Gujarati Short Stories. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Jenny. Pleasure, pleasure being here. Great. Well, let me start right away with this. You know, this is actually part of a series of books, um, you know, where Alef the publisher has been looking at different parts of India, right? So could you maybe tell us, just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the series in general to situate us before we get into the questions? Sure. From what I gather, I mean, it's not as if they have a written down philosophy that I, I'm quoting from, but this is entirely from observation and, and the way it were, it sort of panned out with me, Jenny, that Aleph actually reaches out to you know, a kind of a well-known translator uh, in a major language and basically asks that translator to curate an anthology. And they don't specify what kind of stories, what does the word greatest mean or any of that. Uh, so I'm guessing that is the way it would have been, for instance, with Bangla, which Arun Vasena did and with Omar Menon, who did the Urdu one and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes sense that I think they're leaving it up to the editor slash translator to do because, you know, I think with every language, it, it's the landscape is different. So I'm, I'm glad that they haven't given you a brief as such. Um, but yeah, it's a great um, series and I, I'm looking forward. I hope they cover every state, you know, it's a um, terrific series. Now you, mm. you've translated quite a bit of fiction from Gujarati mm -hmm. to English. You know, there's the mm. famous K.M. Munshi, uh, trilogy, The Glory of Parton and, and those books. There's mm -hmm. Ilara Mehta's uh, book. There is Joseph McQuan, the, the Dalit uh, writer mm -hmm. whose, whose novel mm -hmm. you translated. And, and you've done some short story collections too. So mm -hmm. what are some aspects that you find different when translating novels versus short stories? In this, in this one, you're obviously dealing with different styles and voices because it's an anthology, but in general, mm -hmm if you could talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of uh, maybe complicate our question a little bit, Jenny, I've also translated poetry. Oh, and, yes, okay. Yeah. And then I've also translated uh, nonfiction, like I translated a memoir mm -hmm. by Hamid Qureshi called Agni Pariksha. Oh, um, is that the one that was, um, is it around the riots? Was that the one? That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. reading an excerpt on scroll. Oh yes, okay, yeah. So, I mean, so let me just kind of go over yeah. the difference that all these genres make. I mean, you would know that poetry translation is a very separate ball game altogether. It's, it's probably to, the toughest. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, yeah, I, it I is the toughest, but it is also huge fun if you mm. get it right. Mm. Then I think the joy of finding the right word, the right meter is of a different order. I think yeah. the effects are very immediate. Mm. It's almost like, you know, cooking and garnishing a nice dish and seeing it just right before you immediately. Mm. Uh, and so I, I found that actually huge fun too. So I've translated even after modern Gujarati poetry, which first came out, which was incidentally my first translation mm. and came out way back, I think in 1998. But even later, I translated on and off, I think, Neera, Neera Patel's poetry and yes. so on. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, I think the memoir by Hamid Qureshi was uh, 
easier to translate at the level of you know kind of a linguistic sort of a acrobatics and so on it was much easier it was difficult at another level in the sense that there was a lot of emotion attached to it because this is an old man who had been through the 1969 riots his house was burnt down and at a time when he was very keen that i translate he was already waning and just when i finished the translation showed him the entire thing and he responded to certain things and you know said okay i would like this to be changed or the title or whatever and soon after that he passed away like almost mm-hmm. a couple of days after that he passed away so it was it became a little intense that that relationship uh, with him but coming back to your question more specifically about long sort of fiction compared to short fiction mm-hmm. i think uh, it's a bit like you stay with one author with one voice and you want to kind of have the coherence of that voice with you Mm-hmm. uh all through because you are staying with that novel so in the days that i was translating joseph bai's angariyat mm-hmm. i was completely immersed not only in the novel but in the region where joseph bai lived mm-hmm. in the anand petlad region where i made several trips and it became almost like field work almost mm-hmm. like it was an anthropological project or something so there was a very deep immersion there Mm-hmm. then when i went on to do ilara mehta's fence it wasn't as immersive as joseph bai's novel because angadiyat was so kind of dialectical and it it was just a universe in itself mm-hmm. and uh, w- then when i went on to do short story collections like speech and silence literary journeys by gujarati women with zuban brought out and then this particular collection uh the again the kind of deep immersion that i'm talking about that did not happen in mm-hmm. the sense that every few days you were reading a new anthology a new writer mm-hmm. and holding it all together in your head but what is interesting is that not only that each of these writer brings a different style mm-hmm. the question is you want to make sure that you don't subject them to the same style right and how do you sure that that doesn't happen right mm-hmm. so if i was translating let's say short stories by the same author it's possible that there may be sometimes stylistic changes from one story to another but i think with different writers it's almost like meeting every new person every third day yeah and right so for last about i think i must have started reading up these stories almost 3 years ago and i would like intensely go through them during my breaks and anthology after anthology it's like jain khatri okay now now read this now read that and now read this and then of the stories that you are reading 20 stories you are reading and there is one particular one that you think aha this has promise mm. but sometimes you say okay it has promise but i'm not sure i like the end very much and then sometimes you say well i don't like this story very much but it has something else going for it yeah and ultimately how you end up choosing those is really a combination of you know a long list a long list out of which you make a short list and and then you tell yourself that okay this is the best i can do right uh, you know so yeah. it is a it is a it, the process is different in the sense that the also the short story form is i mean it it's a deceptively simple but mm. actually it is pretty difficult i mean you are a writer yourself you would mm. know that 
to kind of have a vignette mm-hmm. and gravity and a punch and something that can stay with you over next 10 pages is actually i think a pretty demanding form i think it is a very underestimated form yes i i agree with you especially in india i find you know and and what's interesting is so much of our literary traditions in every language came from the yeah. short story form right totally yeah you know and yeah. so i i find and that's why when i first started translating i started with the short story form and and to your point i mean i've i've done two short story writers so far dumketu and megani very different yeah. writers but very, very both of them yeah. use a lot of dialect so i i totally get what you say about it, it becomes a an anthropology project because yeah. that's how it's you know it is for me as well um but yeah, yeah they're very just de- it's a deceptively simple form but you know you're looking for that punch and yeah. some of the yeah. stories don't have it yeah but but they have cultural significance yeah yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. now now so speaking of the selection you know you you said just a, a little bit earlier about how the word greatest is loosely used you're given the freedom and and you've aimed for diversity and balance in this collection um across the classic gujarati canon and the contemporary so the selections you've made you've tried to bring in more contemporary writers tell us a bit yeah. more talk a bit more about that why was that important to you uh yeah i mean i think it is that it's a it's a slightly what's the word it's a slightly contestable subject because i think there are people in gujarati literary establishment who are not very happy about the fact that i've taken more contemporary and less canonical writers mm. uh, but i also sort of made that choice not because i think that we ought to read only the contemporary or all of that but i also felt that this was an opportunity for a non gujarati reader to also hear of names that they are not otherwise likely to hear of uh so the anthology has a lot of dalit writers and then it also has a lot of young women writers and young men writers voices that are just coming up and i felt that considering i have been given this freedom why should i actually bind myself to any kind of a preconceived framework i mean that is the kind of framework that a sahitya academy would have and i think it's fine it has its dividends and i respect that also i think i respect people who put together massive tomes of uh you know like hundreds of stories from i did not have the bandwidth to mm. go into 50s and hundreds and so on i told myself that at the most i can do i can do 25 stories because at no point of time jenny am i doing i mean the, again that's not unique to me but i'm also every time i'm doing a translation project i'm also constantly doing some other monograph academic mm-hmm. writing along with it right and so sometimes what basically what these projects on translation do is that they kind of open up some other fecundity in the mind some other kind of a fertile terrain in the mind yes and the other thing does something else and i do this back and forth all the time between a a, a voice that is more kind of theoretical or reflective or whatever and a voice that is more kind of concerned with craft and you know uh, mm. sculpting words and so forth and so i was quite clear that it is not this is not the project of 
you know, it's not like culmination of my life or something. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that there is a very, very readable and uh, crisp and, uh, you know, a punchy sort of a book. Yeah. Which, you know, so. Which uh, it is. I mean, I, I discovered some new names that I didn't know. And I do read Gujarati in the original. And yeah, I, so I you know, exactly and I just right. reading your translation, to be honest, I could almost hear or what I thought might have been the Gujarati. And so I was like, I got to f- read the original now. I've got to have to go and get the right. original. So yeah. I'm glad you did that yeah. because, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and basically if I, I was thinking like if I, when I heard somebody actually told me that on some other site, there were Gujarati critics and writers saying that, you know, why has Rita Kutari left out X, Y, Z. First of all, mm-hmm. that is going to happen. With That's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, it's a given. But, yeah. you know, I think it also kind of, we also need to ask ourselves that if I hadn't done what I did, Jenny, mm-hmm. would there have been questions about the same male writers right. from upper caste yeah. saying that, how come you haven't taken more women writers and you haven't taken yeah, more? No. <laughs> right. you know, they wouldn't have asked that question oh. at all. No. Yeah. Exactly. But I didn't. I didn't. I sort of stayed away from answering those questions, and I mere. I. I just thought people who will read the introduction, they will know. Uh, but then to read the introduction, you need to write, buy the book, right. and so then I pasted actually some of the paragraphs which explain the philosophy behind mm-hmm. the book on social media, especially mm-hmm. on Facebook, mm-hmm. to hope that people would read it. But I think now it has, it has died down. Because the writers themselves are very, very pleased. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think I think to your point about the, what I like as well, being Gujarati, is that it is showing the diversity of Gujarati culture because it's not a monolith. Gujarati culture, people think of it as a monolith, but there are so many subcultures within Gujarati yeah. culture. Yeah. And for yeah. me, I always try to show people, I said, there is no... Whatever you see portrayed in mainstream media or, or Bollywood, that is not, you know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, I, and, and I, I want to come back to talking about the upcoming Gujarati writers, the ones who don't get uh, attention. I want to come back to that later, but I want to pick up on something that you just said about how, while you're translating, you know, your your brain starts to get fertile and you start kind of doing some of the more reflective theoretical stuff. And, and you know, mm-hmm. as, as I mentioned in my intro, you do teach theory of translation. You teach mm-hmm. at Ashoka University. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, this, this thing about where you're balancing the practice or the craft mm-hmm. of translation mm-hmm. while you're doing the work and the mm-hmm. theory side of it. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about how I mean, I, I'm obviously both of those inform each other and, and kind of help your practice as well as the, the teaching part. But talk a little bit about that and, and some of the work yeah. that you guys are doing now at Ashoka yeah. as well, please. Yeah. So actually, I, I think my practice helps me imbalance the theory. Mm. You know, I think it helps me destabilize theory, Jenny, mm. because translation studies, translation theory is... Uh, I mean, it's a very, translation studies is a very established discipline, as you would know, Mm. and especially in Europe and in in the United States. And it is a, it has been an extremely Eurocentric, very Anglophone sort of a tradition. And most theorists actually are from uh, the West. Mm. And 
there is a tendency not to understand that what happens in a multilingual environment, and you do not simply apply the same theory, that a multilingual environment needs to produce its own theory uh, in some sense. So what actually translation practice does for me, I'll give you an example from this book, right? So for instance, uh, there is a story called Nandu by Dashrat Parmar. And I mean, this is, this is why sometimes I think translation is actually, the process sometimes just does something so intellectually stimulating on some days for me. That in that story, you've got this man who's gone to kind of some other part of a mountainous Himachal Pradesh kind of region. And then he meets this young fellow Nandu. And Nandu wants to find out which village is he from, which community is he from, and so on. And uh, this, the, the Gujarati stories says how this narrator is constantly worried about, you know, am I going to tell him my caste? Will he then talk to me? And he says in Gujarati, humari jat chupavto chupavto andar jato. And now this is quite common. In Gujarati, you do say ke jat mate atlu karu pade. Which is that you have to ask this to yourself. The word self is jat. Yes. Now, really speaking, the word for caste in Gujarati is nat, or which comes from jat. And while I was translating it, and I'm thinking this man is talking about hiding his self, but hey, wait a minute. He's also actually talking about hiding caste. Mm. And I thought this is so interesting. I mean, whether the author intended it that way or he didn't is a different matter. So it is not as if the translation you read in the book, I'm using the word self. I'm not saying self oblique jat, which is the way I, in my head, I'm reading it. Mm. But I talk about it a little bit in the introduction. But what that also does is that, for instance, I teach a course called Scripting Cast in, uh, at Ashoka. Mm. And it's a course that focuses upon how do we decode caste in mainstream writing? What, are, what is the ellipsis and silence around caste in writing that appears thoroughly innocuous and neutral? And observations like these help me a great deal, actually to kind of take them back to class and say, okay, this is what is happening over here. Mm -hmm. uh, so similarly, there's another poem by Nirav Patel called Me Too, which I have translated. And of course, it's not a part of this anthology. That's a chapter I wrote in my forthcoming book called Uneasy Translations, mm -hmm. uh, where I argue that uh, there is an aftermath of experience before it is captured in language. And that is the silence which translation struggles to capture that right. the ungraspability that we often think translation leaves us with it it is an ungraspability of language to capture experience mm -hmm. so considering that the translation needs to live with that ungraspability or that silence in language itself and that is in my it's a book that's quite meditative but it is around questions of language and experience and translation so some of these arguments which come from my practice, they figure in that book as well. So to come back to your question, yeah, they are complementary, but in fact, they can also be destabilizing for each other and which can be a very, very sort of an uh, intellectually sort of enriching process. Right. I mean, that's that's where I always feel like, even though, you know, I'm not as good at the theory side of it like, as you are, obviously, but I find that, like you said, it just 
the process of translation makes me think deeper about yeah. certain cultural issues or social issues or historical issues and the language itself and how we use language. You become more careful in your choice of words. And I, I think yeah. your point, and I'm looking forward to the book you mentioned because I think your point about there is that silence and some things you just cannot get across on the page. It, it is an imperfect art. You're never going to get that across it because again, you know, I think there are certain aspects of our culture that even in the original language, they yeah, are not yeah. expressed imperfectly. You know? So in fact, my ultimate argument is not even about a translation from one language to another. My ultimate mm -hmm. argument is about translation of uh, silence into words. Right, right. You know, and, and that's interesting because, I mean, recently University of East Anglia, I'll just do a little tangent here, but they did a project where they brought scientists and writers together. And so this was, and, and they called it translating science. And it's, it's not about translating from one language to another, but it is translation because of what you just said, which is scientists are so embedded in their discipline that oftentimes yeah. there are things that they do that are silent, yeah. that they don't articulate. So when you put them yeah. in a room with a writer who's not a scientist, and the, they, they, they did this, it's a great project. I hope somebody in India does something similar because I think it's just... Different disciplines, you know, engineering or science. Bring a writer yeah. into the room who knows nothing. No, about actually, that yeah. that point brings brings me to your other question about yes. what are we doing at Ashoka. Yes, That's precisely the kind of thing we want to do through the Center for Ashoka Center for Translation, which uh, we launched a couple of months ago. Me and my colleague Arunva Sina, hmm. who's a well-known translator from Bangla into English, and basically the center will work around the theory and practice of multilingual translation in India. Yeah, that I, I saw something on social media about it and I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd initially forgotten it, but I'm very excited about that because to your point, I think this is an aspect about South Asian translation that the Western mainstream publishing industry or world completely misses. It, it's what you've said is that, you know, how we, work with different languages, the multilinguality of translation in India, it's kind of unique in itself in a way, right? And then how we decode certain cultural issues across different languages in different ways. So I'm, I'm glad to hear about that. And, and I'll try and make sure that I go to the Ashoka website and link to it um, for more information if you've got some information out there already. Um, or I'll just- No, we are, we are just about to launch the website. Okay, but great. basically, yeah, basically, we feel like translations from Indian languages into English. Now, there are, I mean, there are people who are doing it. Yeah. But I think there is a long standing tradition of translation between Indian languages, yeah. which is, uh, which is, which is not being done much. And we also feel that it is, there are sometimes like economic commercial reasons why publishers would publish English translations. Mm -hmm. But there are also like say, key, key texts which continue to be in Tamil or Malayalam or Hindi, but they don't go to other leaders in other languages right. because who wants to do, you know, a small essay or whatever. So right now we are, we've started a project on Bhakti. And mm -hmm. at the moment we are translating Kabir into more than 10, 15 Indian languages. That's great. And Kabir, Kabir is a great, you know, his Dohas, I think that's such a great thing. Uh, we grew up 
obviously quoting Kabir the Oz, you know, so yeah. that's great. That's great. Um, and then to your point, you know, um, I want to come back to what you said just now uh, about translation from Indian languages into English, which has grown a lot, obviously, in the last few years. We've all seen it. We're happy about it. But there still is a translation pyramid where, for whatever reason, certain languages, maybe there are more translators available, or maybe those yeah. books are more popular within their own cultures, like Malayalam or Bangla, mm-hmm. you know, they get more, um, you know, more, more translated more and more attention. What do you think is, how is the literary landscape for Gujarati translation? You've done so many, you, you have a much better vantage point. How do you think it has evolved? And what are one or two things you would like to see uh, evolve? And yeah. Grow? yeah, no, given, given this question, Jenny, uh, <clears throat> in fact, at some point, I would really like you to read the last chapter of the book, Translating India, The Cultural Politics of English. Mm. It's based entirely on what, on Gujarati scene. Uh, and this is way back in 2001. Mm. And even from that to now, the scene has changed hugely, right? Mm. So there are there are clearly more translators than there were before. There is more interest in Gujarat than there was before. But there is a certain kind of asymmetry which has always existed and it is likely to exist. And there are historical reasons why that happens. So I've talked about this in that in that book, but mm-hmm. I think I'll just go over a couple of points here. One is that certain languages, for instance, Canada, you will find that it produced a range of English teachers over generations who were also Kannadiga poets, writers, and English teachers. Like someone like you are Anantamurti was an English professor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there is a very long-standing tradition of English teachers who were very entrenched in their linguistic sort of a a community. And they became sometimes the translators also. The same happened with Malayalam. Bangla also produced a lot of bilingual people. I mean, there is a greater emphasis on speaking, knowing Bangla, there's greater pride in the language. So sometimes it is also that. I think with Gujarati, uh, the, the historically, the uh, assimilation of English has not been very great. Hmm. And there are several reasons for it. One is that the middle class uh, and upper middle class in Gujarati did not need English to do well in life. I mean, they hmm. were doing business and they had other forms of enterprises and so on. So certain kind of colonial uh, apparatus, which other communities needed for civil services and so on, Gujarat did not need those. And so you did not find uh, certain kind of brown sahibs and so on that Gujarat produced. And therefore you will find that even if you didn't sort of know your English well, if you had to do business, you would still be able to do it. And there was a, yeah, and so the colonial machinery uh, was not that relevant in Gujarat. People, there there is, the history of trade has some of the explanation in this matter. Right, I mean, to to your point, you know, Gujarat being a very ancient trade center because of the the coastal, uh, you know, I I think Gujarat has thrived with multiple languages and being able to still hold on to Gujarati, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And then there were a whole bunch of other things. There were policies in the 70s by which English was actually removed from standard five to step and put into standard eight. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, I've discussed this in the context of language politics writing I've done in mm-hmm. again in the same book. Mm-hmm. So there is a long history. So basically what you ended up having was very, very few people who knew both English and Gujarati well. And that might explain why the translations have been few, uh, but there is a far greater, what shall I say, now emphasis on, you know, and desire and aspiration amongst writers. They want to be translated into English. There are more people who are interested in it and so on. So yeah, the scene has changed quite a lot and there are some very, very good translators, including yourself. So it's not like the same thing. Uh, it is an evolving scene, it, but it is, is nothing it is. compared. It is nothing compared to, let's say, Bangla or right. yeah. Yeah, that's why to your point, you know, when somebody asks me about Gujarati translation, you know, a young a young person who wants to be a translator, I'm more than happy to help. And I don't, I don't even see them as competition because I'm like, there is so much literature to be translated. You know, yeah. I just I want more and more because a rising tide is going to lift all boats. And so I, I just think, you know, and the more we can spotlight, especially contemporary Gujarati writers as well, like you said. So, so that brings me, you know, to my question about contemporary Gujarati writers, who are maybe two, three or four of the upcoming ones who should be on our radar, who deserve, you know, maybe more readership um, it, that, you know, based on your kind of view of the landscape, who would you recommend that we should all read more of? Uh... I think uh, the anthology has Ram Mori. Uh, mm-hmm. He is actually making a very, very big impression. The story that's included here, Equismo Tiffin, mm-hmm. has been made into a film now. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Okay, okay. Because I mean, I read the story. I didn't know about the movie. Yeah, it has just, I think it's still going on. And, and oh. uh, so Ram Mori is considered to be actually one of the upcoming voices. Abhimanyu Acharya, again included here, yep. is uh, a great sort of a very promising young writer. But I think he's he also he's currently writing his thesis in English. So I'm sure he doesn't need somebody to translate his work. But right. nonetheless, I mean, since you mentioned, mm-hmm. I uh, Meenal Dave, who's here, she's written little compared to you know many other writers here. But I found this particular story, Nightmare, here, it has just stayed with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there is just something else going on there. Then even these writers that Sachin Ketkar has translated, Nazir Mansuri, Mona Patrawala, are very, very unusual writers. And I think people should look out for writers like that. Uh, the, another writer who's here, Neerav Patel, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago and I've actually dealt with his work a great deal. I think is absolutely one of the best writers Gujarat produced. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned, you, you, you kind of mentioned him in your introduction and I remember seeing both you and Salil Tripathi having talked about Neera Patel when he did pass away a couple of years ago. Right, and, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, but I think, yeah, I think so Neera Patel, you know, it's funny, it's always the way, right? When somebody passes away, we think, oh, we should read all their work. 
And, and that's how it was for me because my focus at the time was on the classics because I was looking at them yeah. and Megani. Yeah. And yeah. mainly in my case, it's what I grew up with and it was this thing I wanted to do for my mom. And so, you know, yeah. but, but yeah, that's why I always yeah. ask. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned these names and yeah, I think we all should read more of them and, and hopefully there will be more translations as well of their mm -hmm. works. Um, and so speaking of next, uh, you know, more translations, I know you mentioned you've got a, and actually the next book up that's coming out is not translation, but it's about theory of translation. It's uneasy right. translations. When yeah. is that coming out? It's coming out in July. July. Oh, great. Oh, okay. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to that because I think we don't have enough books about translation theory. And I mean, you know, books that are accessible to translators and readers alike, not just to translators um, yeah. from India. We don't get a lot of these books. Um, we get the odd, beautiful, brilliant essay, but we haven't had a lot of books on, on this um, yeah. craft, yeah. right? Yeah. On the art Have you looked at Multilingual Nation? It might be of interest to you. No, I haven't. I, I, I should look it up. I need to look up more of these. I mean, the more I get into I'm, I'm, the more I get into translation as a craft or discipline for myself, I need to, yeah. I will, yeah. And you know, we're all multilingual, most of us, right? I mean, I we yeah. at, here in my house, we have Punjabi, Hindi, English, <laughs> Gujarati, you know? So right, we have right. all the languages. But, um, and, and you, you're obviously multilingual as well. So with, with the Sindhi and the Gujarati and so, um, so great. Well, that's, I'm looking forward to that. And um, let me end with one, question that I ask everybody and it's a difficult one because I, I put you on the spot but again so it, it can be a recent book it doesn't have to be favorite of all time but I ask about what's your favorite Desi book and why so I will use the word favorite loosely because sure. that's too definite mm -hmm. uh, I like uh, cobalt blue a lot I don't know whether you've read it I Such haven't read I know of it I haven't read it but yes Sachin Kundalkar, it's yeah. a Marathi book translated into English. Mm -hmm. And I and I teach it as well. So I I love that book a lot. Mm. Uh, what else? Then I like Ghachar Gochar a lot. I'm sure you've read that. I've one. read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, it made such a big splash in the US as well. So I Oh, that's that. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many actually. I'm not, mm. but this is what comes to mind because I'm teaching these uh, the, in my courses yeah oh great great um okay so now so so thank you uh rita this was very good and i i know we can't do justice to all your 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 entire body of work in one little uh conversation no, but no, what no. i would love to do i i would love to get your uneasy translations the book you mentioned and have you back on if that's okay with you that'd be great actually yeah, yeah and because i want to read it carefully and i do want to get into some of the nitty-gritty because there's we have a lot of readers at Desi Books who are actually wanting to get into translation. I get okay. questions all the time. So I, this is why I yeah, was- Yeah, so really, it, it, it yeah. wouldn't quite work like, uh, I don't know, what's the word? It wouldn't quite work like a manual for translators, but I think so, it will provide a, it provides a philosophical reflection. Yes. On, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, it's not a, yeah, it's not a craft. It, yeah. yeah, but it's more about the discipline or the art of it. You know, and that's kind of what I think is missing for a lot of us. When people think about translation, they think, oh, I just have to be proficient in the language. And no, it's not just right. proficiency in the language, but it's it's a lot more, yeah. you know. Yeah, it is about language. inhabiting. It is yeah. about inhabiting someone else's life for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, for me, you know, I moved back to Gujarat from 2014 to 2020. I was 
immersed physically living there while I was doing my translation work. And I, I do think that made a huge difference. But, you yeah. know, I had Gujarati all around me. People were talking the language. I was doing business in Gujarati, like, you know, transactions, everything was, I think yeah. that helped me immerse back into my own language because I'd been out right. of India for a while and not speaking yeah. it. You yeah, know, I yeah. needed that. I needed that immersion. So I do think yeah. there's something to be said. For, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, so I think, yeah, I think that's that's definitely a book I'm looking forward to. Um, and the Center for Translation, I'll make sure I link to it once the site is up. But in the meantime, I'll link to your Facebook post about it. Um, and then thank you very much for this time. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much for sparing time. Yeah. You've been listening to episode 67 of Desi Books, news and views about Desi literature from the world over. I'm your host, Jenny Butt. Thank you for tuning in. Today's Desi Craft Chat was with Rita Gotari discussing a new anthology titled The Greatest Gujarati Stories Ever Told, which she has selected, edited, and mostly translated to. Episode 68 will be up shortly. Follow on Twitter at DesiBooks, Instagram at Desi.books, Facebook at DesiBooksFB. Tag the accounts if you have requests or suggestions. And please go to the website if you'd like to sign up for the free weekly newsletter. That's daisybooks.co. And please share this interview via social media so we can keep raising the tide of Daisy literature. Stay healthy, keep reading, and write well. <laughs>